Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Edgy talk. Plain talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense, the place where you can find an awful lot of uh, reasonably interesting information, some of which will be very useful to you as you go through your day this morning. Because guess what? Rational debate uh, seems to have left the building. I don't mean this building. I mean the building down the river, which is, of course, the Palace of Westminster, the Houses of Parliament. There's people in newspapers this morning saying Boris Johnson needs to hire uh, Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor. Hello? Jeremy Hunt? You must be joking. This bloke has tried twice to de-seat Boris Johnson and has got absolutely nowhere very, very fast indeed. Anne Whittacombe's going to join us this morning. Uh, she's calling the 148 weasels idiots, the people who tried to dislodge and distract everybody uh, from what was going on. The people who failed to get Boris Johnson out of a job are still there. Uh, she says they need to rally behind the Tory party because otherwise it's going to mean victory for the Labour Party. So Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson will today uh, go head-to-head in Prime Minister's questions. The first one since Boris Johnson won that uh, vote of no confidence on Monday night. It's going to be a fascinating day. It's going to be a fascinating chamber. Uh, and it's going to be, I would expect, another Boris Johnson win because the fact is he has survived. The fact is he's not going anywhere. All the doom mongers in the media who are saying he'll have to leave, uh, he's holed below the waterline, he's got less popularity than Theresa May had. Well, it took seven months to get rid of her and she was one of the worst prime ministers we have ever had. Boris Johnson's got a big chance today to make sure that people get behind him. He's got a big chance to lose uh, the tag of the highest taxing Conservative Party uh, in the history of tax. He needs to reduce the tax, not put more on. Uh, He needs to forget about net zero. He needs to get something sorted out with Rwanda, which he's claiming to do uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, We shall see what actually happens, but we will be fascinated to know uh, precisely what you think as well. 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk an awful lot about what else is going on. Uh, And of course, the train strike. Massive story. RMT. I spoke to them yesterday at 20 past 12 on this very show. I said to the guy, have you got any plans for any more strikes? He went, no. About three hours later, they are completely shutting down the rail network in the entire country for an entire week later this month. 21st, 23rd, 25th of June. What do you think is going to happen on the 22nd and 24th? You think they're going to go back to work? No. 
They have a three-day strike which will turn into a week. It's going to affect people trying to travel around the country as tourists. It's going to affect people trying to get to Glastonbury Festival. I don't really mind too much about that. But what's going to happen? They're going to clog up the roads. Unbelievable. And also, just in case you don't think that I take my life very seriously, I'm going to be talking to you about some things that have been happening to me lately. Portents of doom, some call them. I'm wondering if somebody's out to get me. I know it's probably a pretty long list, but there was an incident on Monday. There was another incident yesterday. So I'm waiting for the third shoe to drop, as it were. So I might not be here tomorrow. It doesn't go well. Anyway, uh, we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's do it. Now, in times of trouble, what we do is we try to find sensible people to talk to. And we have found, of course, the most sensible woman in Britain. It is Anne Widdicombe. She's got a column in the Daily Express today in which she says, support the Prime Minister or it's May Day for Boris. Anne, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning. Thank you very much. I loved your column today. It's exactly where I am on this. Um, the 148 weasels, as I call them, have had a pot shot at Boris Johnson, missed and should now retire um, and basically get behind him, shouldn't they? Well, absolutely. I mean, they've got a choice. I mean, this is what I say in my article today uh, in The Express. They've got a choice. Uh, either they get behind the prime minister, they get a cohesive fighting force together so that there's a chance of winning the next election, or they spend between now and the next election plotting and grumbling uh, and dividing the party. Uh, and if they do that, they guarantee that Keir Starmer will win the next election. Indeed, at the moment, as I also observe in the same article, he doesn't have to oppose Mike. No. All he has to do is sit there and laugh. Well, he does, although I do have a sense that his performance at Prime Minister's Questions today will not be any different from the one he normally puts in, which is that he quite often has, a, has an open goal to shoot at and misses. Uh, well, indeed. I mean, he's not the most inspiring leader that the Labour Party's ever had. Mm. Um, I don't know of a single policy that he's got. Uh, uh, all we ever hear is Partygate, uh, and we don't hear much else. So uh, I, you know, I wouldn't rate Keir Starmer's chances if he was up against a really disciplined fighting force, but he's not. No, he's he really isn't. And what have you made of what's happened since that vote on Monday night? Because, you know, there are some in the party saying we need to change the rules. I think that would be a massive mistake if they made it easier for people to get rid of the sitting prime minister just because they didn't like him. You know, the rules are the rules. Surely you don't change them as you go through them, do you? Well, you don't. Uh, theoretically, you could. But let's have a look at that. First of all, the new rules would have to be drafted. Then they'd have to be approved by the 1922 executive. Then there would have to be a vote. Uh, of the entire party in the House of Commons. But all that's going to take time. And while all that's going on, the media will just be speculating, speculating, speculating that that's the end of Boris. Now, what these people should now do is to say um, they've had their chance, they lost. Now, the big question confronting every single Tory MP and every single Tory MP's constituency chairman should be making sure that they answer this question. Do you want to win? next time because you won't if you just go on uh dividing the party and grumbling you just won't do it no 
Of course not. And, and, as, and as many people have said, you know, the media keep this pot boiling. Um, and I don't include myself in that because I've been saying for a long time that the people of this country and you see more of them probably than most people outside of, uh, of London, because that's where you are. You know, at the end of the day, people are fed up with it. They are not obsessed with Partygate and obsessed with getting rid of Boris Johnson. They would rather Boris Johnson stayed. And I don't believe the YouGov polls that say that half the country or more than half the country wants him out. You know, I just I just don't buy that. And I think people want the story to, to, to be about tax and how it should be lower. It should The story should be about uh, the rail strike, which is going to cripple the country. It should be about the petrol prices going through £2 a litre. You know, all of the important stuff that people care about in their lives. And that is Boris's big chance. If he actually gets to grips with those issues and does the sort of bold and imaginative stuff that he did over the vaccines that he's doing over Ukraine, if he took that sort of line with those issues which matter to people in their daily lives, uh, they will forget Partygate or not forgetting Partygate. They will very, very grudgingly forgive Partygate. Mm. But so long as he doesn't come up with those sorts of ideas, we need to see the old forest. I don't know where it disappeared, but it disappeared somewhere uh, uh, during COVID. We need to see the old Boris. Yeah. Uh, and that is what people will vote for. They won't vote for the new Boris, they vote for the old one. And you were a veteran of, of the political game many years ago and still are, um, and I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully, yeah. uh, but are we going back to the 70s with this rail strike, with this ridiculous RMT um, union, which seems to be a bit of a throwback to the good old days or the bad old days of, uh, of industrial relations strife? I mean, they've called three days of strikes in the same week, which effectively means the whole week will be knackered. Yeah, well, the problem is that they've detected a weak government. Uh, and there are many issues now that remind you of the 1970s. Inflation's one of them. You know, yeah. we haven't seen rampant inflation since the 70s. And actually then it was much worse and there was much less government help. Mm. Uh, our generation can remember that. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yes, I mean, there, there is um, a, an echo of the 70s. But if the government presented a strong, united front, so that they sit there and they think this is just still going to be the government after the next election. We're going to have to deal with this government because it's going to be there for a very long time, which is what eventually they had to face up to when Mrs. Thatcher took over. Uh, then I think that there would be more chance of controlling it. But mm. otherwise, why? I mean, if you think you've got a weak government, if you think people are going to give in, if you think the rail bosses are just going to put the wages up then why wouldn't you strike? Well, exactly right. Although, uh, and you and I have spoken about the working from home directive before, um, they will be less, um, I shall we say, damaging than they were in the 70s as well. Because I noticed on Monday when there was a tube strike in London, actually the roads weren't any busier because yeah. a lot of people choose now not to bother going in. Exactly. Now that we've established a pattern whereby people who can have been working from home and have been working out the systems for doing it and in most cases have been doing that reasonably successfully now that we've got that mentality well if you can't get to work whether it's because of a pandemic or a strike you can do it from your desks at home why would anybody put themselves into the misery uh, of a strike they would say right i'll, mm. I'll sit at home i'll do the work from home yes uh, and quite right too I'm, I'm totally with them yes but unfortunately the people who can't do that are the ones who suffer i suppose yes. but but there's also yeah. uh, the other problem uh, which is that basically when you talk about people going out on strike and it works you then sort of start on um, a steamroller effect because yes. you've got the civil service union who are also threatening to go out on strike in their case i'm not sure how you would actually tell since they don't seem to be doing very much but the public service union which has got many many more people than the rmt are talking about doing the same thing and it has to be then 
ideologically based, isn't it? I, I think it is. And as I say, I, I think there are echoes of the 70s here whereby if one union is successful, then the others just, just jump on the bandwagon. Yes. Um, and, and that is where you have the problem. Of course, in the 1970s, we also had, for the latter part of it at any rate, a, a Labour government uh, uh, who were supposed to be on the side of the unions and they were extremely weak in dealing with them. Uh, and I think what we need now is a Thatcher-right approach. Dash it, Boris has got the majority. Yeah. He's got the majority. He needs to do that in the Commons. Just take a very, very firm approach. The public will be on side. Yes, I think the public absolutely will be on side because what they are going to disrupt is, you know, the recovering tourism business because there's a lot of tourists in London yeah. currently. Loads of them came for the Jubilee. I'm hearing a lot of different accents and different languages back in London, which is terrific to see. Um, they're also going to disrupt, and I, I don't have a great deal of sympathy with the Glastonbury Festival goers, but, I mean, even they deserve to be able to get to a place where they paid good money to go. Oh, yeah, I mean, Glastonbury is perfectly lawful. I mean, I may not be any more enthusiastic about it than you are, but it's still perfectly lawful. And if people want to go to Glastonbury, I don't see why they shouldn't. No, absolutely right. But what I'm saying is, is that very yeah. week is the week of Glastonbury. So they're going to screw up yeah. anybody who's trying to get to that part of the world, uh, which will mean that there will be cars literally everywhere all the way down the M5. Yeah, that is one where you will see an impact on traffic because it's not like working from home. You know, you can't do the Glastonbury Festival from home. You want to be there. You want to be in the tent. You want to be in the mud. <laughs> I'm, glad uh, to, so, I'm glad to see that you've come around to my way of thinking, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be loads of um, lo loads of cars on the road. On the other hand, you know, we know that. We know that. So we should start planning for it. And, and that is the real thrust of all of this. We know what's coming. We should plan for it. Yeah, absolutely and right. And work should go out. If you can work from home those days, please do. Don't try to get in. Uh, if you're going to travel, see if you can make prior arrangements, you know, see if you can go some other way. Uh, so uh, by other way, I also mean that literally geographically mm. as well, you know, uh, away from fogged up roads. Uh, and, and that's what we've got to do. We've got to plan for it. But yeah. what we mustn't plan for is giving in. No, quite right, too. Very well said. And stay with us. I've got more questions for you about a great many things, including uh, the mobility uh, of the Queen, which Anne's written about in her column today as well. This is Talk TV. Talk radio. Unbelievably realistic. It's the home of common sense. Non-complicated radio for a complicated age. Just like the real thing. Talk radio. On your mobile, on your wavelength. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. It's quite an auspicious day, as every day this week has been. But before we go on, and before we take some of your calls, um, I need to explain something to you, right? I need to point out what's going on in my life. Now, I don't know about you, but um, some weird things have been happening lately. On Monday, and I think many of you would have heard me explain this, I was driving into work, as I normally do, when there was the most god-awful bang. Something hit the car, right? Now, you might say, well, you also hit something. No, I didn't hit anything. I was stationary in the car. The car was at a set of traffic lights. I didn't see anything. I just heard this big bang. I was looking the other way, so I didn't see what was going on, on the on the front of the car on the bonnet. And it was raining slightly, so there was a bit of water on the bonnet and also on the windscreen. Somebody in the street heard the noise. It was so loud that they turned around and were looking. By the way, sorry, what is this? The curse of MG. Why have they put that up there? There's a grim reaper. Listen, I'm just—I'm not joking about this, right? This is not. This is quite serious, because a bird fell out of the sky and landed on my car. I know this because later, when the when all the the, the, the rainwater had dissipated, I could see very clearly there was a mark on the on the bonnet, and there were what can only be described as entrails of some kind. 
very small, tiny, right? But nevertheless detectable. On the windscreen when I was driving in, there was a bit of blood. I don't know. Anyway, it struck me as a bit odd, very unusual. Now, I'm not asking you to explain it for me. I'm not asking for you to tell me if it means anything, if it's some kind of portent of doom. Forget about this Grim Reaper nonsense. Anyway, so yesterday, I was visiting the office of somebody else, and I was in a lift, and it wasn't a particularly tall building, but I was going up to the sort of, you know, 13th or 14th floor or something like that. And as we got, and there were two people in the lift I didn't know, two women, who were going to different floors. We got up to about 10, and suddenly there was a sort of clunk, and it went like that. I'll do that again. Like that. And it dropped. The lift dropped. Literally, I thought, I thought that's it. This is it. We're falling. We're falling down. It's going down. We were at 10. It suddenly went to 9. It went to 8. It stopped, and then kind of slowly sort of ended up just at 8. And we all just looked at each other like, Oh my God, what's going to happen now? Because, you know, you've seen those movies where the lift does that and then it holds for a while and then it just goes completely all the way down. And literally, I thought that was it. I thought it was the end. I thought, this is it. I'm going to die in a lift, in an elevator. And it's not even in a proper skyscraper. Anyway, suddenly the lift just went back up again. These two got out and I went, uh, should I get out here? They said, maybe. I didn't. I took the risk and went up to where I was going and it was all fine. But I just find it a bit odd because people have been telling me in here now ever since that there are three things that happened. On the third thing, that's literally the end. If the third thing happens, it's all over. I mean, it's just a bit odd, isn't it? Does anybody, can anybody help me with this? I don't know what it means. I don't think it's a portent of doom. I'm not sure... And I've always been pretty lucky as an individual. I'd just like to know if anybody out there has any clue as to what I can do about avoiding the third thing, whatever it may be. And get rid of that curse of MG. There is no curse of MG, all right? Let's talk to David in Sheffield. Hi, David. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, not bad. As long as I can avoid whatever the third thing is, I'll be all right. <laughs> What's going on? I not know about it. Yeah, well. Right. About this railway strike. Yes. What, what people have got to remember is, A, Boris should be supporting it because he's saying we should be levelling up, mm. not taking people down. Right. So you should be supporting people fighting for the jobs, fighting for the pensions and fighting for the right for a decent living. That's the but they do have a decent living. They're not, they, on strike. But hang on, David, it's not um, like they don't have a decent living and they're not fighting for their jobs. They are understanding that the redundancy is going to be made and most of them are voluntary. So hang on then, based on that... Presume you're getting paid more than a guard on the train and you're getting paid more than a porter and getting paid more than somebody who takes sandwiches up and down. Maybe. Would you swap jobs with them for that pay? I'm not saying swap jobs for Well, that's a stupid question, isn't it? Well, that's a stupid question. That's a stupid question. It's a really stupid question because I'll tell you why, David. The point is, is that you don't pay for my job, right? But we pay for their jobs because they are basically public sector jobs. Massive amounts of public money go into the railways, right? So they then get... we should we should we should knock nurses' wages down. We should knock teachers' wages down. I'm not saying that. Paid out of public purse. No, well, but, well, yeah, but the, my point is, is that if you are paying things from the public purse, there is only one way to fund that, and that is by taxing people like me, and that's what happens. So they get tax from so, me. So they you give it to them. So you're getting paid then. What? Your taxes go towards tax. 
I'm happy for my taxes. I'm very happy for my taxes to go towards people's pay if they work in the public sector. Yes, but I can tell you something else about people who work in the RMT. They have a much better pension than I have because I don't have a pension. Well, well, why have they got a better pension? Because you've got a strong trade union that's fought for Well, you can't have it both ways, David. So they're in a pretty good place with their pension. There are many people in this country who get paid a lot less money than the people who work for the RMT who haven't got anything like that sort of pension. People in private sector jobs don't have that kind of index-linked pension. But that's the point about levelling up, to make sure they have got a decent pension and they have got a Yeah, but they're already pension. up there. You're fundamentally yeah, but... against... No, David, I'm not. Sector. I'm not at all. Taxes. No, you're wrong. No, David, you're, you're wrong. If you're, about, if you're about levelling up, what you need to say is that people who are in private sector jobs who haven't got such good conditions as people in the RMT, you should be levelling them up to the RMT, not pushing the RMT further up away from them. I don't agree, disagree with that, but I understand the strike is about saying to them who work in the RT what will be left after these changes. They'll be on lower pay, lower pension, not true. and lower job security. No. Is that, is that true? Let's no, it's not true. Show me the evidence of that, David. Let me finish. Let me finish. I will let you finish, but you, you can't just make finish. statements and then not be able to back them up. Uh, well, you know full well that at the university you've got to back statements up. So let's, let's do this properly. Right? Is part of their strike protecting pensions, protecting wages and protecting jobs? No. Is it? No, it's not. Right. So so the RMT are not saying that the, the part of what's happening is they, they want to lower the pensions, they want to lower the, lower the wages and lower the job security. Is that not true? No, that's not true either. The point about what, what the RMT... For, then? Oh, well, well, I'll tell you. The RMT is striking because they are making an ideological point they do not need to strike. They've been paid already in London. Uh, they've been given a pay rise by, by Sadiq Khan and TfL. They're still striking on the grounds that it's about health and safety. They find different reasons depending on who they're striking well, against. I can't believe our anarchic you are. But just, let, just let me tell you, just let me tell you, you've said what Thatcher said in 80s with miners. Listen, listen let me finish because it's an important well, point. I haven't interrupted you, David. What do you, why do you keep saying let me finish? I didn't say anything. Well, well, let, let, let me just point this out. Hurry up. It's exactly what Thatcher said. It's ideological. It's to bring the government it down, is. blah, 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 blah. Now, how much are we paying for gas and electric? With 300 years worth of coal under the ground, which Thatcher got rid of. We wouldn't have to rely on Russia. We wouldn't have to rely on anybody because we've got the coal under our feet. We've also, got shale, we've also got shale gas. But you, don't, you didn't really want to send your kids down to coal mine, did you, David? Listen, I, I, spent, I spent loads of years down there and a year on strike. I know what it's like underground. I know what kind of how much coal there is. And I know full well that we wouldn't be in this position if people like you and to back Thatcher closing pits. It's got nothing to do with me, David. I'll tell you, no, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Now, now you let me speak, right? Because it's called a debate. Here's the thing about the people like you who blame Margaret Thatcher for everything 40 years after she's disappeared from, from Trace, right? Is that the people who are really killing off your electricity and gas supply, are the green maniacs, the people who think that net zero is what we need to get to. People who think that, you know, you should... People, no, hang on. People, stop interrupting me. People who, who think you should be driving an electric car. People who think you should have a heat pump in your house. Those are the people you should be blaming, not Margaret Bleeding Thatcher, who hasn't even been alive for the best part of the last 10 years. If I can't blame Margaret Thatcher after 40 years, right, then... I'm going to have trouble blaming Adolf Hitler after 80 years. Because what are you blaming him for? Wrong. What's it got to do with him? They were both wrong. They were both wrong. Are you, so you're now saying that Margaret Thatcher and Hitler are in the same conversation? Well, You've lost the plot, Dave. You've lost the plot. Are you some kind of communist? 
did it by listen she did it by closing the coal mine don't ever say that about margaret thatcher she is not to be spoken about like that with such disrespect you're a disgrace david speech in this country you're a disgrace you have freedom of speech so i'm letting you say of, it there's no freedom of speech in this country then because i can't say what i believe you believe that margaret thatcher and adolf hitler are the same is that what you're telling me she did as much damage to this country as hitler did when he bombed london get lost just... get lost get rid of this maniac let me talk to ian in the lake district hello ian hi how are you very well indeed what can right. i do for you tobias elwood said the other day that if you join the single market it'll help the cost of living yeah well, that's rubbish. Yeah, of course it is. If we join the single market, we the first thing we ought to do as a country is slash corporation tax, say, to 10%. Yes. Agreed. We spent enough money on COVID. What's another few billion yeah. in the debt we owe? Mm-hmm. We, couldn't, we wouldn't be able to do that if we were in the single market. No, we wouldn't, because we'd be ruled by European laws, wouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, we, fuel bills are so high that it's actually cutting the, the uh, gas electric VAT would actually... I think I'd be about 200 quid a year worse off, yeah. every little better off, every little help. Absolutely right. As you know from past phone calls, I work in a large supermarket. And when you look at the choice of food people can buy, perhaps the big four supermarkets should get together and decide to cut the range, not to Aldi level. Mm. But do we need 21 different types of fresh olives? You're a man after my own heart. I say yeah, this all the time. But also, by the way, why can't they cut it to Aldi levels? Because if Aldi can make a, a well, profit doing it, why well, can't the rest of them? Well, I don't think we should. I think we need better choice because people can, if you're having a dinner party and you want something special, yes, you can do a full shop in Aldi. Yeah, but you can always do you can always do uh, the expensive shop. But what I'm saying is, is that if you are a mass market supermarket, why can't you cut your prices to the absolute um, limit? Well, we are, I mean, well, where I work, we, we have got a lot of Aldi prices. Yeah. Uh, we're doing our best. But, you know, when, when your margins, you know, a customer spends 100 quid and your margins two and a half pence in the pound of mm. what they spend, you've got to be careful what you do. Well, sure. But I haven't seen anybody running any supermarkets going to food banks any time uh, recently because they're all doing rather no, well, thank you. I mean, I, Marks and Spencers are paying some woman 750 grand a year to do a four-day week. Well, it's ridiculous. You know, so, I mean, there's no, there's no problem there, but they could reduce the price of their vegetables by quite a considerable margin. They'd still make a fortune. But, Ian, thank you very much indeed for bringing sanity back to the show. You know, we do have freedom of speech in this country. You have freedom of speech on this radio station, but I will not tolerate anyone putting uh, a British Prime Minister who did so much for this country and so much uh, for the people of this country in the same breath as the absolutely horrendous creature that went on went to war with the world. That is not happening, not on this show, not on your Nelly. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. There's the hard way to do it. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's some breaking news at the moment in Berlin. A car drove into a crowd on the street in western Berlin, killing one person, according to Germany's Bild newspaper. Uh, it took place uh, in a place called uh, Rankenstrasse, uh, on the main shopping district of Breitschelplatz, the scene of Berlin's 2016 Christmas market attack, you might remember, uh, which killed 11 people. We're not knowing, we don't know yet if this is going to be claimed as some kind of terrorist incident, but uh, so far, one person dead. We'll keep you informed with more details. 
details as we have them. And um, let me talk to you about um, some of the stories in the papers this morning. Boris fighting back with a tax blitz to silence the rebels. I'm not sure how he's going to manage it, but there's a lot of people who think in order to do it, he might need a new chancellor. The Telegraph suggesting that it should be Jeremy Hunt. I can't imagine that's going to happen. Well, I mean, honestly, I think the Telegraph may not have recovered from the Jubilee or something. (laughs) I mean, honestly, Jeremy Hunt, first of all, is not loyal to Boris, and it's crucial that you have a Chancellor uh, who is loyal to the Prime Minister. Uh, Secondly, he didn't do such a wonderful job on health that you want necessarily to trust the nation's um, finances to him. Uh, So uh, I don't think, you know, I just don't think that there are any reasons at all for having Jeremy Hunt there. I mean, I think it's a farcical suggestion. Uh, It's like inviting a viper into the nest. You know, he's not loyal to Boris. He's not loyal to Boris and has proven it time and time again um, and and has yet again failed miserably to make any impact, I think, on on the Tory party and particularly the parliamentary party. He doesn't really appear to have much support from anyone, does he? I don't think he makes much impact at all. I mean, I'm very grateful to Jeremy for when he was health secretary, he was the one and only in, in my lifetime uh, who actually insisted that the law on abortion was obeyed mm. uh, and threatened you know, threatened some of the clinics with closure. Uh, he actually insisted that the law as it stood was obeyed. Uh, and so I'm very grateful for that. Um, but the fact is that in, in the wider spectrum, uh, A, he's disloyal, uh, which to me it automatically eliminates him. Uh, but B, uh, he's not particularly effectual. No. Let's talk about something else that's in your column this morning. A buggy would have been a royal boost. A lot of people were having conversations about the Queen. It was magnificent to see her um, well, uh, and, and great to, to, to be able to, to see her on more than one occasion. But you've got an interesting take on whether or not she should be seen uh, in either a wheelchair, wheelchair or a golf buggy. I mean, I love the idea of a golf buggy. I love the idea of her sort of swanning about in a sort of Pope-mobile style uh, way. That would be good. Well, of course, she did use a buggy. I think it was at the Chelsea Flower Show. Yeah. She, she has used a buggy. Uh, and I would like to see her doing that more often. Now, there are various reasons for that. I don't think the message should go out that it's undignified to be seen in a wheelchair, on a mobility scooter, more imaginatively in a golf buggy, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and I think it, it, it would be an act of solidarity with a lot of people who've got no choice, whatever. And I remember my own mother just resisted, 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 first of all, a stick, then a frame, then a wheelchair, but eventually got to the stage uh, where if we were to get up the aisle at Westminster Cathedral for Mass, she had to do it in a wheelchair. And I just think we should be a bit more acceptant of that and and not quite so resistant to it. So I think Her Majesty should set us the example, but uh, I thought she was terrific at the Jubilee, absolutely terrific to have got out on that balcony at all. She's 96. I know. Listen, my own mother is ninety-eight and and is pretty uh, is in pretty good order. But but I mean, she would struggle, particularly to sit through a, um, a church ceremony in St Paul's of of an hour or more. Um, and you know, she obviously um, gets around. She's got one of those little Zimmer frames that she scoots about on. But you know, um, they're remar- that, you know that generation of of women in particular is incredible, isn't it? And I bet your mother never complains. She never does, and she gives me, and she also gives me a, a, a stern talking to at times. I mean, I travelled three thousand miles to see her. After two hours, we had a row, um, and it was back to normal. 
<laughs> it was very good. Let me ask you about this story about Cineworld. I don't know whether you've seen it. There's this yeah. supposedly blasphemous film about the Prophet Muhammad's daughter. I'm sort of reluctant to give this story the oxygen of publicity, but I'm going to bring it up with you because I think we find ourselves in this like rather sometimes these, these rather sort of inner bubbles inside another bubble inside another bubble. I mean, this is a row between Shias and Sunni Muslims, right, which seems to affect very few other people outside of those two groups. But what's happened is because of these kind of activists, it's become um, a news story. And I'm not sure it should be a news story in this country. Well, let me say first of all, I do understand when people are profoundly offended by blasphemy. I remember how I felt about The Last Temptation of Christ, Gary Springer, the opera. Uh, but my response to that was simply not to watch on, just not to see. Mm. You know, I, I didn't need to see it in order to be further offended, you know, just just, just forget it. Right. We are in a free society. Uh, but I do think that, that people exercise should exercise freedom with responsibility and, and religion is, is, is always something that, that's remarkably difficult. Uh, but yes, I agree with you. Uh, I don't actually think this is, I mean, this is not a story like the Danish cartoons were a story, for no. example. Uh, I think it's much more confined than that. Oh, it is. But the trouble is the people who are making all the noise about it are sort of talking in not really riddles, but saying things like there will be consequences if this film is published, if this film is, is sold to the public. You know, consequences meaning what exactly? I don't know. Well, but yeah, it doesn't sound good. Once people start talking about there are consequences, they can very often sound as if they're threatening. Uh, and I think that is what we're meant to take from this. Uh, and I think, sadly, um, Cine World has given in. Uh, and is not showing it. Now, I occupy the position that they should never have been showing it in the first place, but given that they decided to, um, after that, then it's a matter of freedom of choice as to whether people go and watch it or not. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's finish up with something about the state of our prisons. You know, we're told that uh, an awful lot of prisoners have been left watching television and not not really doing very much of anything else since the pandemic. Uh, You also wrote today in your column about the sentencing of Kurt Zuma, uh, the cat kicker. Uh, which I found, like you, to be ridiculously lenient. I mean, surely he should have got some jail time, shouldn't he? Well, I, I mean, I think, yes, for preference, but I also think that uh, his community service should be in a cat's home, quite mm. honest. Yes, I wouldn't mind that. But what about the state of our prisons? Because I keep reading stories about the drug problem inside of our prisons, the shortage of staff inside of our prisons, the privatisation factors that haven't really worked. How do we fix it? First of all, privatisation was one of the best things we ever did, and it worked extremely well. Now, I don't know what's happening now, uh, because you know, it was the mid-90s when I was prisons minister, but mm. uh, the, the joy of privatisation was it set a standard for the rest of the service, right. you know, and the public service started to catch up with it. And one of the things that the private prisons did, which most of the public prisons, not all, there was some honourable exceptions, um, but one of the things that the private prisons did was to have the workshops, the education, what we used to call purposeful activity. Mm. It actually had that, and it was contracted to do it, and if it failed to do it, it had to pay a financial penalty, so by gum it did it. Uh, and idleness is the single greatest enemy of rehabilitation. Yeah. Now, rehabilitation consists of education, um, offending behaviour courses, Uh, the workshops, whatever it might be, but it's got to be purposeful. And above all, um, it should be based on the sort of working day that you and I understand, Mm. you know, not a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there, but a full working day. And and yes, that can be spent in a mixture of the education department and the 
uh, the workshops, but it must be a full working day. I said that until I was... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. with saying it. Um, and uh, certainly when I was there, um, the prison population suddenly expanded. Uh, the prison service at the time said to me, well, can we reduce the targets for purposeful activity? Because we've now got to spend an awful lot more time on security because of the expanding numbers. And I said, yeah. no. I said, far short of reducing it, I'm actually going to put it up. Mm. Because that is a crucial part of the prison system. It's not just about warehousing. No, exactly right. Because the tireder these people are when they go to bed, the less likely they are to be in any way sort of, um, you know, recalcitrant or revolutionary or anything else. You know, let them do a good day's work, um, even give them some money or something for which they can get benefits while they're there. But, you know, give them some incentive to do something other than nothing. And the joy of giving them proper wages, proper wages, would be that you could also take proper deductions. Yes. Deductions for victim reparation, deductions for savings for when they leave deductions for family upkeep, you could do all of that. Mm. So you would inculcate not only the habit of an orderly working day, but the habit of an orderly distribution of income. And some crazy reason that isn't what's done. And it's not about getting them tired at the end of the day, it's about getting them used to working when they leave. I think most people don't understand that 75%, and I do mean that, 75% of those who come into prison are illiterate or innumerate. Yeah. They've truanted from school, they've been excluded from school, they've never worked, they live on the dole. You have to change that. 
Exactly right. And it doesn't sound difficult. It sounds, sounds like perfect sense. Thank you very much indeed. Anne Whittacombe, read her column in the Express today. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. How about this uh, from Dave in Rutland? Why can't your channel offer Anne Whittacombe a huge salary and replace that narcissistic, vain, conceited sod Jeremy Kyle? Well, I think that's very harsh indeed. I think Jeremy Carl's brilliant, actually, Dave in Rutland. What I would say uh, is that I'd be very happy to uh, have Anne Widdicombe join our merry throng here at Talk TV uh, because that would be tremendous um, and it would be a great addition, as is Jeremy Carl, uh, as indeed is Piers Morgan, as indeed uh, are all the great people that are here uh, all the way through the day and the evening too. Lots going on. Ian Collins will be here from one o'clock. Uh, here's one from um, uh, somebody who doesn't uh, give a name. Oh, no, it's Pete. Sorry. I remember the 1970s and the only good things were the music and the price of beer obviously i didn't buy beer back then because i was underage obviously but i mean certainly this rmt strike does make you feel Fifty thousand workers to strike during the by-elections during the glastonbury festival they're going with the 21st the 23rd and the 25th of june uh, which basically uh, means that a tuesday a thursday and a saturday are the days they're going to be off which means basically there will be no trains effectively from the monday to the following monday you know that's going to make absolute and utter sense. And it's going to be chaos. National Rail and 13 other operators will walk out, coinciding with a tube strike in London. So if you're looking to do anything towards the end of June, uh, you better make sure you're doing it from home. That would be my message, because it looks like you won't be able to actually go anywhere. And of course, if you were to try to go somewhere in a car, you'd probably have to pay more than £2 a litre for some petrol. Let's talk to Howard Cox, founder of Fair Fuel UK, because certainly the fuel cost at the moment in this country is pretty bleeding unfair. Howard, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I mean, we're now talking about uh, the average cost of a litre of petrol has passed £1.80. It's increased by more than two pence since yesterday. Uh, I've actually found some anecdotal information from South East England where you might have seen this. Petrol's now more expensive than diesel in some places. Absolutely right. I mean, what we've been having, though, for the last couple of months, Mike, is that diesel wholesale price has been cheaper than petrol wholesale price. Right. But that... But that particular benefit hadn't been passed on to the pumps until now, right. uh, if you can call if you can call it. A well, except like, except uh, what they do is it's, they don't reduce the price of diesel; they just put petrol up, so it looks as though diesel's cheaper. That's absolutely right. And uh, as you know, Richard Tice actually found he was up in Wigan yesterday, and he sent me uh, a picture of one garage diesel two pound and twelve pence a BP garage two pound and twelve. That's ridiculous. That is madness. I mean, where's it going to end? Because I mean, we know what the answers are. We just had Anne Whittacombe on talking sense about how to fix the prisons. You know how to fix the the, the price of petrol yep. and diesel at the pumps. It's the government's responsibility to do it, isn't it? Well, we're in a cost of living crisis, and they're being flooded with a shed load of VAT because of the high price of uh, uh, fuel. They're getting absolutely monumental billions of money coming in because of the price of fuel. It's in his remit. So one of the questions I hope Keir Starmer says, will you cut fuel duty by 20 pence? Mm. I don't suppose he's got the guts to do that. But I tell you, he will get in as a prime minister tomorrow if he did. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be a very popular move indeed. Meanwhile, I don't know whether you've spotted this, but uh, this afternoon, apparently, eight metro mayors from across England and plus the leader of the Glasgow City Council are going to call on the government to give them funding and resources so that they can get the whole of the UK to net zero carbon. I mean, have these people got no kind of concept of reality whatsoever? It includes, of course, our good friend Sadiq Khan. Well, we're, we're on that road, aren't we? Which is, uh, I'm afraid, heading to these, driven by these green spads in Westminster, advising MPs who are in their little cocoon, out of touch uh, offices, not recognising what the net zero will cost the economy, cost people. 
I'm just, uh, one of the things I'm doing today is I'm off to see the CEBR, the Centre for Economic Business Research, to commission a report, actually, what is the cost of the 2030 ban mm. leading up to net zero? Uh, and we're going to have to spend a lot of money to do that. So please, all your viewers and listeners, please sign into Fairfield UK and give us a donation because we need all the money we can get to protect your future. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, at the moment, currently, the, the government's revenues must be being boosted to a huge degree uh, by the amount of tax that they're getting now. I know that they don't get the fuel tax increase because that stays the same, but the VAT alone uh, on fuel must be giving them an absolute, um, you know, beer fest. Well, as you know, they're also doing a windfall tax of £5 billion. With the VAT, etc., on top of that boost in the last year, that's an extra ten billion pounds, mm. which is equivalent, which is equivalent to a twenty p cut in fuel duty. Yeah. But then they've got then they've got to police that night to make sure it's passed on because that five p one we had in Spring State it didn't touch the sides, did it? No, it really didn't. Sounds like somebody's strangling a cat behind you there. I'm not quite sure what that was, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm just outside the House of Commons, so I apologise. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I mean, there's normally a lot more people shouting about than that. But, I mean, as far as the tax cut is concerned, I mean, the front page is today saying Boris Johnson, in order to remain Prime Minister and to stay in place and to be the guy that everyone wants him to be, he has to reduce taxes. So, surely we're going to be in the market for a bit of that, aren't we? Well, I would have thought so, drivers especially, because, as you know, fuel duty, the cost of fuel, impacts on everything on our lives. Absolutely everything. That cup you're just drinking, that coffee, was delivered on the truck once. Yeah. And what we must actually recognise, that if he actually helped people, uh, to actually by cutting at 20p that would go into their pockets they'd spend more they visit the high street more everyone would benefit but why doesn't the government see this it's absolutely a dereliction of their duty they're not helping people no and i've started to hear noises recently as well howard i mean everybody knows there's a bit of a, um, a scandal currently going on in the in the car market you can't get a new car you can't order a new car because for some reason <laughs> no. the supply of new cars has completely dried up i don't know where and why that happened um second-hand cars prices are going through the roof you know, there continues to be this incredibly huge kind of war, discrimination, I'm going to call it, against motorists. You're absolutely right. There's so much uncertainty. I've speaking to manufacturers in the last couple of weeks. They don't know which way to turn. Do they switch on to stay with diesel, stay mm. with petrol? Do they go with electric vehicle? Do they hybrids? Is a hybrid a good thing? Well, who knows? Right. The government are not giving signals. They could be strong and lead the world. Rather, It's amazing, isn't it? In the time of COVID, they suddenly switched on the furlough campaign, spent $400 billion on it. All, all we're talking about is cutting 20p off fuel duty. It doesn't take a genius to work out how much beneficial that will be to the economy. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as this rail strike is concerned, I mean, clearly that's oh. more bad news for motorists because if you are a regular motorist and you commute by car on that particular week of the 21st of June, it's going to be gridlock all over the country, isn't it? It's chock-a-block completely. And it's just stupid. And again, the government can sort this, everything about this and put some more punitive... You can't just, I mean, we're in a cost of living crisis and these thick idiot unionists, I mean, I go back, I'm an old guy, I'm 68 years of age. And I remember the days of, uh, you know, Arthur Scargill and all those sorts yeah, of people. Red Robbo. And the, yeah, Red Robbo, absolutely. Well, you wrote about him, I remember one. <laughs> but the fact is, those were the days. But the fact is, come on, get on top of this government and please, people, be reasonable, for Christ's sake. Please be reasonable about help people that are struggling. People are really people can't even get to hospital appointments because they can't afford, afford to fill their mm. tanks. This no. is the sort of thing we're having. I'm passionate about sorting this out, Mike, and I thank you for giving me coverage. Not at all, Howard. Good luck today. Good luck uh, for the rest of the week, and good luck in general with the cause. It's Fair Fuel UK is the name of the organisation. Uh, go look it up. Go help them out because in the end, fuel is literally the fuel of life. We need fuel in this country. We need petrol. We need diesel. We need oil. 
We need all manner of energies in order to do what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Planes don't fly without fuel. Cars don't go anywhere. Buses, trains, it's all fueled by fossil fuel. Get used to it. Fix it. Boris, come on. Get on with it. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I tell you what, the sky is looking pretty good out there today. It's not particularly blue, but there's a, a high cloud ceiling, I think you'd like to hear me to say. And I can see the Tower of London gleaming in, in all of its glory. We've been saying some very interesting things in the first hour. Anne Whittacombe, brilliant uh, on all manner of things, including uh, the Boris Johnson situation, including the RMT, of course, as well. Big strikes coming up in uh, June the 21st, the week of June the 21st. 50,000 rail workers to strike during the by-election period. Uh, it's all going to be affecting the Glastonbury uh, Festival as well. People aren't going to be able to go anywhere. And because of the way they've picked the fight, it's the 21st, the 23rd and the 25th, which is rather clever, as you can imagine, because what the end result will be uh, is that for an entire week, effectively, from the Monday to the following Monday, you literally won't be able to go anywhere. There's a rail strike um, in National Rail, Network Rail, but also on the tubes in London as well. It is absolutely extraordinary stuff. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris Loder, MP for West Dorset Conservative, of course, uh, a man that knows a thing or two about the train business but before we do that uh, let me just answer uh, some of your tweets that have come in after i suggested that i might be in the midst of some kind of portent of doom some of you much to my chagrin have picked up on the hashtag uh, curse of mg which i think is un unfair uh, i'd like you to stop doing that because i think that's unusual uh, dead birds dropping in the sky can be caused by 5g says charlie well, that's an interesting one. Um, and Ray, your curse says refined. It sounds like TV Kev is after your slot. Well, TV Kev's coming up later on, so I might have to ask him about that. Um, Prophet says you need to get a giant rabbit's foot to wear around your neck uh, while you're on the air. This will cancel whatever uh, has been caused. Uh, John in Chingford says play the Euro millions before your time runs out. Um, and here's one um, from Leon. He says, hi, Mark. I think you're in the clear as you've had two instances of good luck. If you'd broken a mirror or the car had broken down and had to walk home uh, and then you were waiting on a third, then maybe it was a bad omen. But I think you're leading a charmed life. And then, uh, of course, somebody else says how to reverse a curse. You need a salt bath, says John. I'm not doing that. Sorry, I'm not doing that. Let's talk about the rail strike. Chris Loder is here. Chris, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. It's good to see you today. Good to see you indeed. Now, you're a man that is a bit of an expert on the railways, used to work on them. Uh, you know an awful lot about the way probably the RMT works. I mean, this seems to me to be not simply about terms and conditions. It's not simply about people who are being made redundant. It's not simply about pensions. What do you think it's about? Well, Mike, I'm, I think I'm the only MP or maybe or definitely the only Conservative MP that actually used to be a member of the RMT yeah. early in my career because I was a train guard myself. Mm. Uh, back in the day. Um, for me, what we're seeing right now is coordinated strike action simply because the RMT is addicted to striking. Yeah. Mike, it was only a few months ago the RMT employees were striking against themselves. Yeah. 
I mean, this is how addicted uh, the RMT is to strike action. Now, I was—I um, I saw the clip a little bit earlier of um, Eddie Dempsey uh, and what he had to say. Yeah. But the reality is there's 16 organisations, 15 train operators and network rail. They all have different terms and conditions. They're all at different stages of negotiation. Indeed, many of them, most if not all the train operators, have not actually even commenced negotiations uh, about it. So, in my opinion, this is a wholly ideological battle. God knows why they've done it around the by-election uh, period, because I don't think it's going to be of uh, any support to uh, the Labour Party, because we know the RMT and the Labour Party have got quite a close relationship. Um, I just think it's really sad. Now, in the, in the general election, uh, the campaign and the run-up to the general election last time, I was actually working the train working trains as a guard myself during the last round of strikes that went on for months if not years um i shall be offering my services again mike i don't know whether they'll be taken up um but i have to say that i think it's uh absolutely disgraceful that we're faced with this national strike which has been done for ideological purposes only and i think it's regrettable that a lot of you know in this debate we've lost sight of the fact that the the taxpayer has pumped into the railways billions of pounds, the tune of £600 per household to keep the railways running, to keep people in jobs. And that's what the government has done. It's done a huge amount. And I think that's really missing in the uh, in the debate at the moment. Absolutely right. Because so many people who worked on the trains during the pandemic um, were working from home. They were told not mm. to come to work. I know that I've had these conversations with some union representatives and they've said, oh, yeah, but we were running all the way through the pandemic. Well, yes, but it was very skeletal service. It wasn't like, you know, a normal train service. And trains still really haven't returned to normal. I mean, I get tweets every single day uh, of the week, Chris, from people with a with a train sort of you know arrivals and departures board up there, and literally you know the first seven trains cancelled. I hear from people who commuted in uh, in the old days from places like Weybridge, right, where the fast train that used to come in at seven has been cancelled altogether, and there is no fast train anymore. You know, so the services have been cut and cut and cut. Many times people tell me they go to get a train it's cancelled, they have to get the next one, they're overcrowded, they're not running the service as they should, and yet they're complaining that they want more, and they're complaining that despite the fact that they've got some of the best pensions in Britain, that, that they want an even better one. I, I entirely agree, Mike, with with everything you said. You know, People who work on the railway, and of course I, I've done so before I was elected for 20 years, um, you know, we, we have, uh, or the railway has a good set of terms and conditions generally. There are groups of staff on the railway that have a four-day working week. Um, and for those four days, they work uh, sometimes 34, 35 hours a week and are paid reasonably well for it as well. And I think we just have to bear all this in mind. The reality is that the numbers of passengers that we saw before uh, the pandemic um, you know, was it an all-time high? It was an all-time low during the pandemic, mm. and it has nowhere near returned to what it was before. I'd estimate 70, maybe 75% of passengers uh, have returned. Now, those of us in the rural southwest, where I'm the MP for West Dorset, um, you know, we have really battled to get our train service recovered to what it was before. And, and that, that's not a 10-minute frequency, I'm sorry mm. to say. It's an hourly frequency, uh, from um, the, the sort of the line from Exeter to Salisbury uh, in, into into Waterloo, mm. and I think it's it's really disingenuous actually to not give the impression at all that the government has supported railway employees 
during the last few years. It has done so massively. No one had to lose their job over that period. No one was put on furlough, as far as I understand it, uh, from the railway. Yet we saw massive service cuts and reductions during that time. Now, if everybody was employed, you know, it makes you think, well, hold on, if we haven't changed employment, but the train service was cut in half, as was the case, you know, what actually were people doing in that uh, in, in that period? Now, we know, of course, some were off with COVID, but actually we should drill into um, what the unions required of employers mm-hmm. during that time uh, as well. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's pretty unfair uh, at the moment. Uh, it's going to be pretty devastating, I think, for a lot of people uh, during the, uh, over the country uh, to, to get to work. Um, and what, what I want the RMT to do is to stop grandstanding about it. And I want them to have proper negotiations because the vast majority of these businesses, at least uh, the train operators, which is 15 out of the 16, um, have not started the negotiation. So how can you strike uh, on a failure to agree when you've not even yeah, commenced yeah. those, well, do those you know, discussions? Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. I spoke to a representative of RMT yesterday uh, about the tube strike in London on Monday, and I said I, the question mm. I put to him was, was it a success? And he said, oh, yes, it was a great success. We managed to get everybody out. And I went, well, no, that's not what I meant. A successful strike surely means that you've got what you wanted from the negotiation process. And, of course, they hadn't. And because my my understanding is that the tube drivers and certainly many people on the tube on Transport for London have been given a pay rise. They say they're doing it on behalf of cleaners and people on £11 an hour. But, you know, on the on the week that they're doing all of this, not only is Glastonbury going to be affected, but there's a third test with New Zealand in Leeds. There's also Armed Forces Day celebrations on the Saturday, you know, plus the by-elections, all of that. And I think what they've fundamentally misunderstood, these people, is that actually train travel has changed. You know, it's no longer... Uh, full of commuters Monday to Friday. It's now full of people travelling for tourism purposes. Some are travelling for business, obviously, but an awful lot more of them are travelling for leisure purposes, which in a way is even worse, isn't it? I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, the RMT in every way is stuck in the 1970s. Yes. Um, you know, we see, I mean, I remember um, we had strikes on the Southwest Trains Network in the early 2000s. Um, there were consistent strikes, uh, consecutive strikes, should I say, that were designed to hurt the commuter, those going to work. But we've got to bear in mind that people have a lot more flexibility now than they had previously. Um, and what they're doing is they are hurting the growth of their market. You know, the very people that pay the wages uh, of all the employees of the railway are now looking to be hurt. And it just doesn't make sense. Why, you know, we're talking about the tube just now. Why on earth would you go on strike and the key measure be, uh, you know, how many people you get out? I mean, it goes to support what I was saying earlier that I'm afraid the RMT is addicted to strike action to the extent it went on strike against itself only a few months ago. If you worked for the RMT and you wanted to go to work, you would have had to have gone through a picket line in order to get there. <laughs> yeah. That is the extent of what we're dealing with. And I think now it's got quite... It's got quite serious because this is a coordinated national strike. Yes. It's very political um, and it's aimed towards the government. And we know that the RMT has close links with the Labour Party. Um, it has done for some time and it definitely has so uh, now. Yeah. And I think they claim, very- of course, they, I think they, they, they would probably claim uh, if they were here now in this conversation that the Labour Party's gone too far to the centre for them because they're much like the Corbynistas and they love the Russians and they were quite keen on Vladimir Putin until relatively recently. Well, I, I, 
to be honest with you, you probably know better than me, but you know, when they start throwing money at MPs or support mm. uh, uh, Labour MPs to the tune of almost £20,000 a year mm. uh, to sort of support them. Um, and, you know, when I've looked through the, the tweets and so on, have any of those MPs challenged or condemned them um, uh, for what they're doing? No, they haven't. And I think, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, finances and funding and so on of, of late, but we really haven't looked at how the trade unions support MPs. Um, particularly Labour MPs, mm. and I think this is something in this whole debate that we should have a proper look at, because yes. there are some yeah. MPs that are supported by the RMT almost to the tune of £20,000 a year, right. and we should uh, we should have a good look at that. We should. Well, maybe um, somebody will ask Keir Starmer at Pete Prime Minister's questions, which I'm looking forward to. I'm sure, I'm hoping, I don't know if you're going to be yeah. there today, but it's going to be quite a feisty yeah. one, isn't it? I think so, yeah, I think so. And um, uh, regrettably, I haven't got a question today, um, and, you know, sometimes I just wish I could ask some questions of the leader of the opposition, especially when it comes to these sorts of matters. But, right. uh, well, I bet you he won't. Uh, I no, bet no. You, I'll, I'll make a bet with you right now. He won't be condemning the RMT, will he? Well, I doubt it. I mean, in fairness, I haven't looked at, uh, lately at his register of interest to see uh, whether or not um, he's received any funds. But we know quite a few of the shadow cabinet um, uh, have done and those in support of that. So, so it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting time. I shall offer my services uh, to help to keep people uh, on the railways and keep our trains running because it's important because people need to get to work. Children need to get to school. And this is something I just don't understand why the RMT for ideological purposes would try and stop children going to school who use the train. It's just really, really doesn't make sense. No, it's dreadful. Chris, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Chris Loder, Conservative MP for West Dorset there. Uh, this is, of course, Talk TV. More coming up. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Gray. Well, that was quite a feisty Prime Minister's questions, wasn't it? I mean, you'd have to say, um, if you had landed from Mars in a spaceship, wandered into the chamber in the parliamentary uh, quarter and found yourself in the House of Commons in the press seats and you were watching that, you would not know that the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, had in some way been forced uh, to have a vote of no confidence put upon him that he had to win in order to continue to be Prime Minister. You would have thought that he was on the best form of his life, wouldn't you? extraordinary and this is the thing about boris johnson i mean all these naysayers oh he's definitely in trouble now he's been holed below the waterline he won't be able to survive this well i think they were all wrong and it turns out i was right again doesn't it so boring being right all the time let's talk to Ladonna harvey uh, she's over at kogo in san diego uh, a beautiful part of the world where it's probably a little bit warmer than it is here Ladonna, a very good morning to you and a good morning to you. I wish I was right all the time. It would just be lovely. I mean, to be honest, I'm sick of it. You know, I'd just like to be wrong once, you know, just once, just to prove that I am mortal, you know. Yes. But just, I just keep getting it right, particularly when it comes to heavy. politics. What can you do? Heavy as the crown, dear. It heavy really is. The crown. It really is. But listen, uh, let us speak about uh, another actor, Mr. Matthew McConaughey, who visited the White House, right? Uh, to talk about gun control. Before I talk to you about it, let's have a look at his impassioned plea to tighten up regulations. We need responsible gun ownership. Responsible gun ownership. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations. I like Matthew McConaughey, but I can't help feeling, Donna, that 
that looked like one of his performances in A Time to Kill. You know, I mean, that, uh, that great movie that he made uh, with Samuel L. Jackson, where he right. plays a, court, a courtroom lawyer. I mean, that's, that was kind of what he was doing there, wasn't it? I, it's you know it's always going to be a little actorish, and I, I think that you know if you're a regular person, you kind of look at Matthew McConaughey and go, "How many guns have you fired in a movie?" I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, it's you know what he's asking for is something that I think a lot of people, both Democrat and Republican, can can get behind. Uh, you know whether Congress can get it together to do anything like that is another thing entirely. Mm. Um, red flag laws, of course, allow law enforcement if there's been a threat. You know there's been a domestic violence situation. There's been a threat uh, against somebody else's life or even your own life, mm. where law enforcement can say, "Hey, if you have guns, we're going to come in and take them until this danger." is over now you know how do you get guns back if you're having a, a mental breakdown and then you and then you're fine yeah. afterward uh, that's a that's a really good question and I think it's still pretty thorny mm. um, I think the days of people going absolutely no gun control whatsoever might be coming to an end yes but of course the other question is will any more gun control create any better and safer communities because the people who do yeah. the things like what happened in texas are probably going to still do them aren't they well if they if they can't do it with a gun or if they can't somehow get their hands on a gun i think if somebody is bent on murder they're probably just bent on murder yeah. uh i'm not sure that you can stop them if you can stop perhaps a way for them to take out an entire classroom full of kids in a matter of, of seconds uh, or a minute. Mm. Maybe that's something that we should look for uh, and look forward to. Uh, it's a it's it's a thorny question. And the Second Amendment, you know, no amendment to the Constitution it, and even the Constitution is not as sacrosanct as you think. Mm. These things can be changed. Yeah. They can be there's a legal process by which they can be changed. The problem is, do you trust your lawmakers to change them in a way that makes sense? Yes. And, and, and I think that's where most Americans go, no, I really don't. No. No. Because, I, I because the NRA old. is so wealthy, isn't it? And it provides so much kind of support money to individual congressmen and maybe local senators as well sure. as national ones that, you know, that's a very steep hill to kind of climb and conquer, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, but again, you know, if you have enough of the public saying, you know what, if you don't support what I support when it comes to guns, and it doesn't matter what, what that position is, uh, I will vote you out. Mm. And there's nothing a congressperson loves more than that lovely little paycheck that they get that, you know, keeps them in the green and allows them to make money on insider stock trading legally. <laughs> well, listen, um, that is entirely right. And uh, isn't it sweet to know that that's a good reason for public service? And that, yes, that, indeed. I mean, you've yeah. never seen a poor senator, have you? And, 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 and as, as people no. used to say about Joe Biden, you know, after a lifetime of working in the Senate for $100,000 a year, how does he become such a multi, multi-millionaire? It's quite a fascinating study. It, it is a very fascinating study. And if you look at some of the uh, securities, uh, securities exchanges that some of these members of Congress have made that would get the rest of us arrested, mm. I think that uh, you'd know pretty quickly how it is they make their money. Yes. Now, we have just gone through the eight pounds a gallon barrier here uh, for petrol um, which is a slightly different gallon to yours but more or less the same so we're talking about probably somewhere upwards of around about 10 11 dollars a gallon what are you paying right uh, I'm paying 641 641 which is a lot for check, you guys. But it, go, it seems to go up every minute yeah. so 
You have to just sort of watch the ticker tape. Well, it's I like mean, watching the Dow. I mean, pretty soon it's going to be the case that if you've got a big tank, it's already gone up while you're filling it. Uh, it, it sure seemed that way when I was filling the Corvette. I, I was feeling it in many, multiple places and not all of them pleasant. No, yeah. absolutely right. And and is there, I mean, there's there's, there's attempts here to persuade the government to take the fuel duty off and the tax off, but what's the, yeah. what's the sort of solution going to be in the U.S.? Uh, they're, they're, they've talked about that as well. Uh, that is not going to happen. The government loves nothing more than the taxes that it's bringing in. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. If we do not... Uh, you know, ramp up production in the United States. And we have plenty of oil in the United States. We really, truly mm. do. Uh, the fact is we have to get it out of the ground somehow. Uh, and during the pandemic, most of that shut down because nobody was driving. So right. bringing that back up to speed has been a really slow process. And then, of course, you have Vlad, uh, who's having fun in Ukraine and, and screwing up everybody with their with their uh, blockades and and with, you know, the Russian oil that's not on the market yeah. that's causing the world markets to to go, oh, here's some greed we can take yeah. advantage of. OPEC, I'm talking to you. Yeah, I mean, it does feel a bit like we're on that bobsleigh run, you know, when you get into that sort of yeah. uh, clattering but very fast machine, which just runs on rails and just goes downhill at high speed. Yeah. We're kind of like holding on, going, you know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Is that the crown down there? Tell me that's not the ground down there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you see those the guys on the luge and it sort of takes off at one bend and doesn't stay on the track, that's kind of, it feels like we're about to do that somehow. Nobody seems to be in control of anything. It's no. And, and, you know, when it comes to trying to do something, because it's not just fuel prices. I mean, it's rattling through various economies. I know that your home heating prices have gone up. So have ours. Yeah. Uh, electricity at a premium. We're told that, you know, we have to pay more and more and more every year uh, just to turn the air conditioning on our on our, in our house. Mm. And then we're told in California, don't turn the air conditioner on because we don't have the power for you. So we're going to do rolling brownouts. Yes. Also, you know, Yay. if you can't have air conditioning, you know, and the world's going to end, I think I'm going with the world's going to end because I don't want to live in America without air conditioning. Thanks. No, I don't want to either, which is why I have one in my bedroom and I run it's, it whenever I want. It's too hot. Exactly right. Finally, Johnny Depp still seems to be careering around the UK. He spent £50,000 yeah. on a curry night, uh, apparently, the other night. Um, and he's been wow. touring with Jeff Beck, having great deals of fun. Apparently, they're now going to record an album together. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, I, I don't know if anybody who actually went to see Jeff Beck went to see Johnny Depp. Uh, that that distraction would make me mad because I just happen to be a guitar fan. Yeah, um, as you know. Uh, Indeed. And so, and it, we both like so Jeff Beck, so we can agree on that. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, you know, the problem is I'm not going to a show to see Johnny Depp, and I'm not buying a Jeff Beck album because Johnny Depp is on it. No. I think that dude. If if you watched that trial at all, and you came away thinking that he was anything other than one enormously toxic human being, yeah. then you're insane. He yes. wasn't some innocent knife who just sort of you know wandered into to Amber Heard's uh, uh, you know bedroom and no. and found the poop on the bed um he played a part in this and i how somehow him coming off as the totally innocent oh i didn't do anything one is really sitting yeah. poorly with me i'm betting that johnny depp wakes up quite often and doesn't know exactly where he is i think there is a chance that that's true <laughs> and also yeah. somebody said to me last night it's not a problem Fifty thousand for a curry he's just spending amber heard's money 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Amber. But anyway, listen, have a great show. Uh, LaDonna Harvey on KOGO Breakfast, of course, over in California in San Diego right now. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.